Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 8, Into Exile. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can find Episode 1 of Season 1 easily at 15minutesontheway.com. Otherwise, if you're already on the way with us, welcome back. I've missed you, friend. Here is today's story. At the end of last week's episode, we completed our journey with Jeremiah by reading Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. If you've forgotten how that goes, go back and listen to it. If you're binging, then you know exactly what we're talking about. What we say through Jeremiah to our people is obviously big, right? You see, you really do need to listen to it. I'm not going to read it again. Do you see how the ultimate destination of it all is the relationship we talked about last time? Knowing me, not simply knowing about me. And that which makes it all possible is right there. The forgiveness of your iniquities. Forgiveness that is so complete that I won't even remember what you've done or failed to do. The covenant in which we still are with our exiled children at this point the covenant requiring their exile because of their inability to abide by it, the covenant has done many things, but it has not provided forgiveness. It has been a tutor outside them, instructing them, correcting them, rebuking them, but not forgiving them. The new covenant toward which we are working, the next chapter in the Abra plan, will not function from the outside, but from within engaging primarily not in physical transaction, but in relationship that begins within the heart and flows outward into all of life. When your heart is aligned in relationship with me, then your deeds, whether they be acts of worship or of kindness or of ethical treatment of your fellow humans, your deeds will look like what the prophets have been calling for. You will be a person of justice, mercy, and compassion who lifts their eyes to me in gratitude and praise. This is not an emotion-based reality, but one of deep, heart-filling knowing, knowing me, knowing my spirit, so that the primary dynamic of your being shifts from that which is external, working its way inside to your heart, to a reversal of that flow instead moving from the inside out, flowing from your heart upon which I myself have written. In order for that to have any chance, though, some major heart renovations are required in every one of you. We've got all the previous seasons of evidence here about the human heart, and they're not very supportive. In fact, Jeremiah and I write a bit earlier that the human heart is above all things deceitful and devious, perverse and incurable, knowable only by me. That's Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. But you didn't need Jeremiah to tell you. All you have to do is read today's newspaper or Twitter feed. That's why Ezekiel who is also active in this time stretch, makes one of his most important statements about this very thing. Or rather, I make it through him. 
As part of the next step in the Abra plan, I will give my people a new heart, one that is whole and undivided. I will put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people, and I will be their God. Ezekiel 11, 19 and 20. Some of this language is very much like that which we used in setting covenants with Abraham and then Moses. They will be my people, and I will be their God. This signals a new seam in the Abra plan. The new covenant, Jeremiah's just outlined. The new heart and spirit, however, is a new development. So crucial is this spirit-heart overhaul to Ezekiel and to us, that he says it again later in his book. We put it in a much larger context in chapter 36, with language that also hearkens to earlier points in the journey. You'll recall that some of the reasoning used by our people over the years when they called on me to defend them or give them victory was aimed at maintaining my reputation. What will the nations think about Yahweh if it looks like he can't back his people up in this or that battle or circumstance? Given that line of thinking, the annihilation and exile of our entire people doesn't look very good on my resume right now. However, we are far from finished with our people. And in the end, it will be seen that we have acted with both integrity and kindness. Our respectable reputation will be more than intact. Yes, things look grim just now, and our people are in a chapter of justice required by their sins, a chapter that had to end this way, the hard way. Up to this point, we have acted with our people as would be expected in their habitat, through military conquest and victory, though many of those victories were won in unexpected and unique methodology, establishing a nation-state not unlike its neighbors, an external, visible kingdom. Ezekiel signals that, though we are still going to be working with the physical kingdom of Israel, a new layer is being added to our work with, in, and through our people. The new spirit we promise to put in them, along with their new heart back in Ezekiel 11, is identified this time around in chapter 36. After cleansing my children with clean water from all their infidelity, I make this promise. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. At Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, resonating with the words of Ezekiel 11, but you already noticed that. Jeremiah previously referred to my righteousness somehow becoming yours, and now Ezekiel adds a significant level to that by promising this. My spirit will be inside you. If that doesn't have the ring of a heaven-and-earth-shattering game-changer to you, then something's wrong. We are going to have a whole heaping lot to say about this as we go along, but for now, 
Can you see the shift we are building into the Abra plan with these words, My Spirit Within You? We are moving away from human obedience as the primary driver of covenantal relationship toward a new covenant in which I am in the driver's seat instead. Not that I haven't been all along as sovereign Lord of all that is, but I intentionally lowered myself and condescended to be bound by contract to mortals. By default, human weakness and inability to sustain prolonged fidelity has determined the current contract's outcome. The biggest lesson from this has hopefully been learned as we have desired all along. Though it is absolutely necessary to reach our final goal, humans are not capable of full, sustained, actual righteousness. Isaiah sums this up in a chapter covering the current state of things, destroyed city and temple, exile, with all our righteous acts are like filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6. Again, the latter half of Isaiah's book speaks directly into this time of exile. Isaiah's assessment is accurate, and though this would seem to carry a sentence of hopelessness and death, his sober evaluation is in the larger context of Isaiah's casting several significant lines toward the future and next phase of the Abra plan that solves humanity's filthy rag righteousness problem. Though the second section of Isaiah is laced with plenty of words of judgment for the idolaters and oppressors of the nations, the words of Isaiah to the exiles are words of promise and comfort. You seasonal concert-goers in the West know a good deal of Isaiah already. Comfort, O oh, comfort my people. Uh, George Handel set the King James Version of his texts. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That's Isaiah 41 and 2. That's not a line into the future quite yet. That's closure. That's covenant terms fulfilled as required, as all penalties are amply paid and will not be sought again. While the covenant is not necessarily ended by this language, there is definitely a thick seam in the Abra plan that occurs here. The following words are on the other side of that seam, as the next phrase proclaims the future, and a voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of Yahweh. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of Yahweh will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. Isaiah 40, 3-5. Yes, indeed I have. Now, 
We don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but Isaiah certainly has some good news, some unexpected news. Jeremiah and Ezekiel have been hinting at it, but Isaiah hires the contractors to get things ready. He's building a nice, straight, level roadway, blasting away mountains, filling in valleys for the Yahweh Highway. Now, you might think this is a thoroughfare for our children to walk on, a path for an uncomplicated trip back to Jerusalem from Babylon when their exile ends. Or that word wilderness there could make it a contrast with Israel's 40 years of wandering exile in the wilderness, painting an easier picture for them this time around. And I suppose my glory is revealed in those takes on things. But here's the beauty of this, friend. We've done it before, and I know it's frustrating to someone in your habitat, but this does not have to be an either-or moment. As in either this highway metaphor means this, as in Israel's easy return from exile, or it means that. That would be verse 10. See, the sovereign Yahweh comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. Isaiah 40, 10, and 11. Just read the chapter, won't you? The Yahweh Highway is also destined to be traveled by me. And that's all you get to know for now, other than the promise that I am coming. We do not provide anything further at this point. Only metaphorical clues are included. When I come, I will act as a caring, nearby shepherd rather than as a distant, reforming judge. Contemplating this stunning development, Isaiah shifts immediately to the same rhetorical questioning used in the book of Job at the climax of his journey. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? This happens right when it would be so good to get some finer details on the matter of my coming. Instead, the chapter ends triumphantly with you mounting up on wings like eagles when you trust me on the way. That's Isaiah 40, 27-31, if you haven't read the chapter yet. It's inspiring and meant to be so, but offers no clue to the working out of verse 10. Even as I am lauded as the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, there is still the question of my arrival there currently being heralded by Isaiah. It has been a long time since Moses and Mount Sinai. If I am coming back to earth, it will by definition be epic. Epic.